Welcome to this new podcast called Filament. And as a godmother, today I have Elaine Huppy, who has two, I would say, aspects of her life. The first one is that she wants to have many lives in her own life. That's why she has many, many hats. And the second aspect is that she is really passionate by space. That's why today I'm very pleased to receive the founder and president of the Carmen Project. Hello, Ellen. Hi, Alice. Uh, please, Ellen, tell me more about the Carmen Project. Uh, Alice, thank you so much for having me. Um, so the Kerman Project, basically, it's a, it's a foundation which is headquartered in Berlin. And uh, what we want to do and the reason why we have created the Kerman Project, we want to be a place, a safe place, where people who are shaping the future of the space industry can meet. It can meet truly with authenticity. That is to say they meet as a person I mean, as people who are passionate about space, who are the ones who are changing the future of space. And then, okay, they come from China, they come from the US, they come from startups, they come from corporate, they come from space agencies. But first and foremost, they are the ones who are the ones transforming basically our, our space industry. And we wanted to create this safe place because we see more and more political tensions in the space area. We see more and more commercial competition within the space area, which on the one hand is of course very good because it creates it's more and more innovation. It increased the, the speed of innovation. And this is one of the reasons why space has changed so much in the past 10 years. But on the other hand, of course, it becomes more and more difficult to cooperate. And if we look down the road and we look at the problems we already have and we have more and more in space, like space debris, like what are the rules to which, which we're going to apply to space resources, for example, like how we're we going to build sustainable settlement in Moon and then in Mars, like if we create infrastructures to explore further space, um, how can these infrastructures have can be interconnected to each another so that we don't build twice, three times, four times the same kind of infrastructures? And because space is hard, uh, co cooperation probably going to be something extremely important for our future. So what we want to do with the Carman project is to be this independent, safe place where people who are the one changing the future of space can speak, uh, say with authenticity, can speak as a person and potentially can start to cooperate. Uh, the way we do that, we select every year 15 fellows, so 15 people who are shaping the future of space, and we invite them to a leadership program where they meet with global leaders in the arts, in politics, in science, in business, to open their minds about the world as it is, and when they have time to meet each another. All the discussions are kept secret, and everybody is asked to speak as a person, and this is the way we create this safe place. Yeah, so that's mainly what the Carmen project is about. And what's the origin of the name Carmen? It's because of the Carmen line, actually, which is the line distinguishing uh, the, let's say, the Earth part and the space part. 
And uh, uh, so first of all, it's universal. I mean, you can be in China, in the UAE, in Australia, in Europe, in the US, uh, you have the Gamma line. So, and, uh, and second, uh, it's, uh, it's an image of, uh, uh, the perpetual exchange between, on the one hand, the dynamism to move forward towards space, to move forward towards exploration. And on the other hand, uh, the use of space. And both actually are growing very, very fast currently. We use more and more space for positioning, for observation, for communication, etc. And for many reasons that perhaps we will detail, but uh, the exploration of space and uh, the, let's say, the seeds of uh, building a sustainable settlement in new planets, uh, we're also experiencing that today. What is really interesting with this common project is that you are publishing every year um, what you call the 10 space headlines in, uh, well, in, in 10 years uh, from her, from us, and you are inspired by different facts and figures and uh, uh, technology, political, business, innovation, and also what is really What's interesting is that you're you're using art uh, to convey your your vision about uh, space. Um, how do you prepare this document with the ten space headlines? Uh, so the the space ten indeed is a so it's ten headlines uh, which are happening in ten years basically. And for each headline, we have uh, one illustration which has been chosen by an artist, and we work with one artist every year. And we have, uh, as you mentioned, a kind of facts and figures box where we explain, okay, these are the facts and figures today. And then we have what is called inspirational timeline. So fake facts starting from now and then ending in, in 2031, if we are in 2021. Um, how we've been working on, on that, it's, um, it's a very intense exchange with the artist. So first, um, we, we choose the artist and the artist chooses us. So, It's, I wouldn't say it's a love story, but we really have to appreciate and to respect each another. Um, and then we also choose the topics together. So, you know, are we going to speak about positioning? Are we going to speak about Earth imagery? Are we going to speak about exploration or whatever? Um, and so the, the, the team of the Carman Project so, um, is working uh, a lot on the facts and figures and the strategic understanding of the future, so based on tech trends and market trends. And we work on the headlines, of course. And then we choose together with the artist the way to illustrate that headlines. So it's really um, the work that we do together. And the reason why we, you know, you have many, uh, you know, um, consulting reports about, you know, market trends and lots of figures and et cetera, At the end, when people make decisions, it's, of course, with a, a part of their mind, which is, you know, rational and, of course, inspired by what they've read and all the market figures, etc., and also the environment they are, they are acting in. So it can be, you know, business, political environment whatsoever. But they also take decisions with their heart, basically, and their imagination. And what we want to do with this uh, Space 10 is to speak to the heart and to the imagination of the people, to inspire them, to, to be the, the, the catalyst, basically, of, of 
their strategic minds and, and their emotional minds to say, ah, this actually could be something that could happen in 10 years. And me, as you know, with my responsibilities, whoever I am who is reading this space 10, is there something I can do so that this scenario does not happen or that so that this scenario happens? So we'd like to trigger this kind of thoughts, actually. And we don't want to trigger it through, let's say, pages of reports. We want to inspire through beauty and uh, a beauty which is merged with actually facts and fears and, uh, and, and tech trends. So please, um, Helen, inspire us. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about some of these, um, of these headlines. Okay. And why not starting with a topic which is really, and, and I know it, which is really dear to your heart, which is the space transportation. What's the breakthrough vision that you have for the space transportation area? Okay. Um, so again, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the Carman, let's say, project, uh, you know, um, let's say, Space and document that I'm, I'm going to, to describe. It's, of course, uh, part of my vision, but it's, it's a common work with the artist. And last year, we've been working with the artist Mikael Najar, who is a photograph based in Berlin and who's been working since, I think, more than 10, 15 years uh, in space. So uh, for space transportation, uh, we chose actually um, a photo of Mikael, of a uh, of a launcher, a very, very, very big launcher, uh, that was turning actually while, you know, going, going progressively into orbit. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a huge launcher, especially when you look at the, at the photo, it looks like very, very big. And what we wanted to pass as a, as a message is that, uh, there is a scenario in which space transportation step by step is going to resemble more and more. Uh, to Earth transportation. What is happening on Earth? Uh, you don't, I mean, if you buy something on Amazon, for example, you, you don't have, right, uh, 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 whatever, an airplane or whatever who is taking what you bought and then bringing this directly to your house and being reusable or not reusable. I mean, um, basically, uh, for, for very long distance, you try to optimize the energy, right? So you have very big boats. And then you have last mile delivery trucks, uh, or even small trucks, or et cetera. So you have a clear distinction of, uh, let's say, distance, which are big, where you want to minimize the energy per unit. And so you use basically big carriers, and then you have the last mile delivery. And looking at space and looking at the number of uh, what is called super heavy launchers, so very, very, very big launchers currently in development already existing. I'm thinking about the Falcon Heavy, I'm thinking about New Glenn, I'm thinking about March 9 in China, for example. Um, and also, of course, Starship. You see there is a very clear drive towards bigger and bigger launchers. That drive is fueled by, on the one hand, um, the necessity to have a cost per kilogram, which is lower and lower. And of course, the bigger the launcher is, the lower the cost per kilogram is. And the other uh, fuel um, is the drive for exploration. And of course, if you want to go to the moon, if you want to go to Mars, you need a super heavy launcher. And so if you have super heavy launchers and you have plenty of satellites to launch, you need a last mile delivery transportation system basically 
And uh, you see that currently in startups, uh, like, um, I mean, there are, there, are, there are plenty, but like, for example, the Orbit in, in Italy, in Europe, uh, which has developed a kind of container systems for uh, for uh, um, uh, microsatellites. You see that also in uh, Momentus, who just, uh, let's say they just assigned a SPAC for a valuation of $1.2 billion. So quite a high valuation. You've also other startups like uh, Atomospace. So you see more and more, actually, uh, trans- space transportation system, which resemble to the one we have on Earth. So this is what we wanted to illustrate with Miguel. And when you think about the last mile delivery, and if we mm-hmm. do the, the parallel about with what's happening on Earth, um, is that you know we have a lot of uh, services such as uh, Uber Eats, Deliveroo, and this you know um, startups specialized in the last mile are also now opening kitchen. Um, so if we make the parallel. Do you think that this vision of the future of space transportation might be disrupted by the in-space manufacturing or will it help support this uh, vision of the in-space manufacturing? Yeah, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure there is a lot of competition between uh, having a huge carriers and uh, uh, manufacturing, for example, big structures or big antennas or big solar panels in uh, in space. I think there'll be a place for both. Again, if we look down the road, the main drive is more and more institutions, companies, etc. on Earth. They want to build a sustainable settlement on in the moon first and then on Mars. So if you want to do that, you'll need very important infrastructures. Uh, energy infrastructures, communication infrastructures, etc. Um, so you probably need to build very large structures in space. And as a first step, that's probably going to be a combination be- between what you can carry and Starship can carry a lot. It's a 100 ton uh, capacity to the moon. So this is really kind of a lot. Um, so it's probably be a combination of um, things you carry directly and things indeed you're going to print. So print in space or also print in situ uh, using, for example, the regolith of the moon as a, as a raw material and then printing print thanks to that material. It's clear that uh, we will not be able to carry everything if we want to build a sustainable settlement um, on the moon or, or in Mars. So I see that more like two trends, basically. Uh, but at least in the short term, I don't see a competition between the two. Thank you, Ellen. Now let's move to another topic, which is the communications and the constellations um, to get uh, communication by satellite. Um, you see it as a game changer for world population connectivity. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, it's... Um... So when we thought about that topic with uh, with Michael, um, we chose a, a very beautiful uh, photo. I shouldn't say photo, I should say artwork, actually. So a very beautiful artwork, uh, which is representing, it's a, it's a photo that was taken in a desert 
uh, in the south of uh, South America. And uh, uh, we see on that photo uh, starting satellites being launched. So it's it's an artwork. So of course it's uh, it's a bit uh, let's say it's there is a lot of work behind uh, that uh, this uh, this photo. Uh, but we see the trajectory of the satellites. And on the one hand, there is a very big hope. There is something extremely positive in that photo because it's about bridging digital divide. It's about providing knowledge to everyone um, and connecting people on Earth. Uh, but there is also um, some, uh, let's say, some, some threats or some uh, question marks in that photo uh, because of space debris and because of uh, light pollution. So to, to, to answer your question, is that going to be one of the solutions to solve the connectivity problem? I mean, what is clear is that the business of constellation didn't work or had difficulties to work in the past. But if we compare the cost per kilogram to go to space in the past to the cost of kilogram to go to space we have now, uh, it's, it's completely different. So I think the business model is completely different. And mega constellations like, uh, Starlink One, like, uh, OneWeb, we are discussing now in Europe, uh, another constellation like the Chinese constellation also. Um, if price per kilogram of producing this constellation and launching this constellation is low enough, for me, there is clearly a business model. The second if is the, the user and antenna. We speak about connecting people, so it has to be affordable for the people who are going to use this service. And most of the people who are going to use this service are people in rural areas, so with a, let's say, budget uh, per head, which is not the highest one in the world. So it's extremely important that the terminal is either completely sponsored by the, by the company which is providing the service, uh, and or can be bought by the person itself. But in all cases, it has to be a very affordable terminal, but which is based on a very complicated technology because we speak about phased array or actually beams that can jump from one satellite to another one to ensure connectivity. So that's, that's, that's another challenge. But I think that more than serving people actually is this connectivity everywhere. One of the big market is transportation. It's driverless cars and it's drones. Uh, because if we think about ourselves in a, in a, you know, in a car, which is an autonomous one, we'll be willing to work. We'll be willing to watch videos. We'll be willing to play. So we need everywhere to have a uh, high data, uh, high speed connectivity, basically. And it means we need to in every situation and everywhere to be able to continue to, to play and et cetera. So I think there is a big market in the transportation market for this kind of constellation. And in terms of drawbacks, I think in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the, the satellites in orbit, uh, what would be the drawbacks for the, the space activities? Right. There are, there are two, two main, uh, Let's say question marks, and this was also in the photo a way to to represent it. The the one and the, we mentioned that uh, a bit before is the one of uh, this is the debris, of course. Because if you think about, let's just imagine we have three constellations, just for the sake of the example, 
So we have uh, the starting one, which is now 20, okay, to be launched is about 20,000 satellites, potentially 30,000 satellites. At least these are the, the figures which are public. Um, same on the Chinese side, right? And then we, let's imagine we have a third constellation, a OneWeb and all the European constellation. So, okay, more than 40,000 satellites in the Earth orbit plus all the constellation of Earth observation, etc. So <laughs> a lot of spacecraft. So here, of course, the debris problem is uh, is going to be a real one. Um, and uh, so that's on the one hand, uh, that's of course uh, that's a threat, but that's also an opportunity. And you see more and more uh, in the world, startups uh, developing uh, space debris removal active debris removal solutions uh, for example in the in the in Japan you have Astroscale and in Europe you have clear space so two examples of startup working on that so that's that's one of the question mark how are we going to solve the, the debris question on the operational wave thanks to the active debris removal um, and uh, also certainly in the in the regulation manner. And then the second kind of question is about the light pollution. And that's why the, there's a reason why the photo was taken very near to one of the most renowned observatory. And when you look at the photo, I mean, you see just the satellites. You cannot, uh, you cannot watch the, the sky anymore. And it's very difficult for scientists, um, to look at the stars and to study the stars. So that's another question, and it's, you know, thinking also as us, when we were children, we were used to look at the sky, which is completely dark, and probably tomorrow the sky will not be dark anymore. It will be with plenty of satellites, and we will see somehow these satellites. So this is also something changing. Um, you mentioned earlier the autonomous car, and for this we, we need to have a a reliable positioning system and one of your headlines is about terrorist attack uh, jamming uh, positioning signal could you tell us more about this uh, frightening vision yeah so the uh, the image we, we chose for that uh, with, with Michael uh, it's actually wonderful. It's a, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a piece of art, of course, but it's, it's a project, um, which has been incubated at DARPA and, uh, which is not so much about positioning, but, uh, it's basically, uh, an earth observation, very, very, very big infrastructure. And it's, of course, an artist vision of, of that project. And what we wanted to convey basically is that, um, space infrastructure becoming so much and so more and more more critical in our daily lives. Of course, uh, protecting these infrastructures is becoming more and more a top one priority. And as an example, uh, exactly what you mentioned, that is so it is possible. Uh, it has been actually um, done through experiments and there were also some leaks uh, in the media that, uh, you know, it was, has been already performed by enemies. Um, it is possible to, uh, to basically, uh, transform the GPS signal and then 
somehow give false instruction to a drone so that the drone disappears and lands somewhere else than its uh, its initial destination. Uh, what I'm saying is, you can find it uh, that in you know various articles, um, you know newspapers like the New York Times, etc. So it's it's public. Uh, and indeed, it becomes more and more a concern about, you know, because this kind of things is, of course, a threat for the population. So concern is how can we make sure that the signal cannot be uh, hacked, basically. And um, one direction is about the signal itself, uh, so that it's more powerful, it's more difficult to be hacked, etc. Uh, and another direction is to work on a kind of B B plan signal or B infrastructure. And, uh, at least from what is public, uh, uh, it is said that there may be some discussions between, uh, Starlink and the DOD, uh, the US DOD to have a kind of backup of, uh, the GPS signal in case of attack. So, yeah, these are, um, I mean, the more we're going to use space for daily life, of course, the more we'll have to protect uh, space infrastructures as we protect, for example, energy infrastructures or critical infrastructures on Earth. Thank you very much, um, Ellen. Well, it's um, it, it's nearly the, the end of our of our podcast, and as I as I said, it's uh, our very first episode. And thank you so much, Ellen, uh, to be. Um, our our godmother for this for this podcast so now the challenge is that if we have more than 100 listeners um we will make another episode about uh, other future visions such as space tourism or spacecraft refueling with the moon water so very also interesting uh, topic so thank you so much helen for for sharing all these uh, let's say visions and very interesting thoughts, um, and I hope that we will record uh, another episode very soon. Thank you very much, Alice, for for having me. And uh, so see you for the for the next episode of this new podcast, Filament.